Welcome everybody to Work Stoppage. We really hope that you enjoyed our interview last episode with some former workers at Evil Foods. Uh, and we are entirely listener supported. So thank you so much if you've thrown us a few bucks on Patreon. If you haven't already, get into the Discord. Uh, and, you know, we are John, Lena, and Dan. And we are here to follow up on the Block the Boat picket line. Uh, apparently there has been a Seattle police department, um, well rather apparently the Seattle police department has become violently involved with the block the boat picket line by attacking, uh, the protesters who have been (laughs) standing on it. Yeah. So for like the last couple of weeks, we've been following the, uh, like, you know, pretty inspiring success of the. A Rock slash uh, ILWU block the boat campaign that successfully prevented um, an Israeli flag cargo ship from uh, unloading at the port of Oakland uh, in solidarity with Palestinian workers and, and the struggle against you know the occupation of Palestine mm-hmm. and that campaign has now started to spread up the West Coast uh, up to the port of Seattle and last week. Uh, there was a coordinated picket led by, you know, dock workers as well as a local uh, Palestinian organization, uh, Palestiniat, which I'm sure I pronounced wrong, which is a Palestinian feminist collective that has led uh, the struggle to prevent the unloading of the Zim San Diego, starting with a mass picket at 6 a.m. on June 13th, and no longshoremen crossed the picket line, and they continued to picket several days while the ship was in port. Until the 17th, another peaceful picket was called then on that afternoon. But that time, unlike it, you know, all of the rest of these where it's your, your standard picket, you know, people come up, they got their signs there, you know, you're chanting your slogans, right? They had, we would have, you know, trucks would come up, see the picket line, be like, Oh, nope, turn around. But on the 17th, when the, the folks showed up to, to, to picket against the ship, the Seattle police department showed up, uh, with their bike cops. Protesters arrived at the port at about four, began picketing in the intersection, getting, you know, trucks to turn around, chanting slogans at five o'clock. The SPD showed up with their bike cops repeatedly threatened to arrest everyone for hosting an illegal gathering. Uh, while organizers of course explained the legal right to assemble and 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 uh, express your opinion that we supposedly have in a nation of laws in quotation marks. Right. I don't know uh, if you can actually even like follow the news these days and believe any of that shit. Like, <laughs> I I don't know. It, to 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 be to think that like a freedom of speech ever existed or even really can exist is silly but then also to think that the 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 freedom to assemble was ever like an actual right has literally never been to any protest every single protest i've ever been in has been broken up by the police yeah well and these cops they arrested and released 11 people on this first wave and uh they they knocked over several protesters from their bikes apparently and knocked at least one unconscious which is just like it's unprovoked police violence as much as like any other thing that you see in the news is unprovoked police violence well and that's that's one of the things i think you'll see from folks who like don't necessarily attend protests is because you'll get those right. weird um like sort of mocking things about bike cops and 
nothing wrong with mocking bike cops, but if you have like for folks who haven't necessarily been to a protest, they're like they're not using the bikes as a green means of transport. The bikes right. are a physical weapon. They use they, them. They to use attack a school. Bu- they, yeah, they use a school bus to transport all of the bikes, and then they take the bikes out. They don't ride them. They just hold them in front of themselves as like a barricade. Yeah, that's and, it. You know, and then knock people to the ground by whacking them with the bikes, and usually beating them while they're on the ground while they have the yeah. opportunity. And then, and, yeah, they, they they mentioned here that. They had at least one person was knocked unconscious in in process of the arrest. And eventually, like, they did release the 11 people. And as as far, I'm not sure if charges have been filed because this was kind of a developing story at the time. But you can see, like, the way that these these sorts of things are run is it's the purpose of this is just to bust up the the strike and and to to basically tell the workers yeah, no, no more of this shit. You have to do what we want you to do. It doesn't matter, you know, what rights you may think you have. Like, we're in charge here. Now get back to work. Right. And of course, this is particularly odious to the police force and the people whose interests they represent because it is a pro-Palestinian, you know, anti-apartheid in Israel uh, protest. And that kind of like political charge carries, you know, it carries a lot of problems for them. It's very important that they shut you down and let you know that not only, okay, you don't have any working organizing rights, but you don't also you at the same time don't have any political organizing rights either. Yeah, I do. I want to go back to the bicycle thing one time, and I have a little bit of a theory on this. Is I think it's the one of the reasons that they use the bicycles is because the shields are 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 like uh, something that if you were to hit a shield, you are the damage is negligible. It doesn't matter. But bicycles are particularly vulnerable in certain places, and so they can use it to arrest people for damaging police property uh, when they smash yeah. you yeah. with bicycles. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. Just a thought. Well, and to your to your point, John, about like why this sort of action can be, mm-hmm. even if it's on something that like to you know the general political zeitgeist of the moment may not necessarily seem like the most obvious threat to to the power of the state, the unified action of workers acknowledging the linkage between their economic struggles. And right. the political struggles of both, you know, the wider community in Seattle and and and, and working with this community group, uh, but also with greater anti-imperialist struggles around the world. That linkage, as as we've talked about on the show before, that is what is so incredibly dangerous to the state. And so, like, that has to be crushed at, at all costs. Yeah, and I mean, like, you see in a protest that carries this kind of, like— like you said, like it is a structural protest that is like addressing the the structural way that all of these issues are linked together. And when you do something like that, you can show up to picket and the cops will be there in an hour to assault you. You know, that's probably faster than they respond to the average 911 call. Like, <laughs> yeah. But so they they had uh, so, some quotes here that, that I thought were good because this, this is coming out of a story from Liberation News. Uh, Wasim uh, Hage, who is the press coordinator for the Arab Resource and Organizing Center, told Liberation News, quote, it is clear to us that Zim is extremely desperate. No workers crossed our picket line and Zim was asked to leave by SSA Marine Corp, which is the company that operates the port. 
Right. Although the ship was unloaded, we consider it a huge victory. We were able to stop it from being unloaded for five days. And a, an, another, an organizer with the Seattle uh, Palestinian uh, Feminist Collective, uh, Aisha Mansour, said, it's telling that this corporation would rely on police violence to suppress a peaceful picket protesting against Israeli apartheid. These actions are clear attempts at intimidating our community that is standing up for human rights in Palestine and everywhere. We will never stop fighting against Israeli apartheid from Seattle to Jerusalem. That's right. Hell yeah. I mean, that's right. And that's why these are the kind of like important protests and pickets and labor movements that are like really worth doing. Like, I know that it sounds crazy, but like if the cops show up inside of an hour to beat you up, you must be saying something that they really don't like you know yeah and and like the other thing is i'm sure that they will spin this as much as possible to be like see this sort of thing didn't work we crushed it like the ship was able to get unloaded but they will of course leave out the fact that the ship was stuck there unable to do anything for five days and that in today's you know modern logistics network for global shipping is an eternity that costs so much money so like that the delay by itself like cost zim i I mean obviously i don't know how much money but quite a bit and so that in itself is is a victory whether or not you know they were then repressed by the police and then the 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 boat was unloaded they did that is still a victory and and i think that the you know the the willingness to stand up in the face of this level of repression and, and continue that has been shown by the local organizers is is a really good example for for folks to follow absolutely well, so, uh, speaking yeah. of big victories, I want to talk about a big victory for a hulking corporate Oof. monolith. Yeah, uh, the bad kind this of victory. Is, this is not good news, folks. Uh, Nestle has had a Supreme Court ruling in their favor, uh, allowing for the continued use of child slavery. We reported back on episode 36 on this. We talked about a case brought by several former child slaves from Mali who were forced to work without compensation harvesting cocoa in the Ivory Coast to supply the world's largest chocolate producers, including U.S. giants Nestle and Cargill. And the Supreme Court has just cited with food giants Nestle and Cargill on Thursday and threw out a lawsuit that claimed that they knowingly bought cocoa beans from farms in Africa that used child slave labor. So, I mean, if this isn't, uh, you know, an expected ruling from the Supreme Court, I don't know what is because the idea that you would ever take somebody's pool of of cheap or free labor away, that's probably the most un-American thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court is a uh, non-democratic, um, kind of really, like, awful... I mean, the, the Supreme Court na- basically needs to be abolished. Uh, and this is a great reason, uh, because there's actually no accountability to this, and this is the end of the story. There's no uh, additional follow-up that is to be done uh, on this when it comes to any sort of government entity the congress is never going to to do anything about it the executive branch is never going to do anything about it because they are just going to defer to the supreme court because though they say oh checks and balances three branches of government it's all bullshit it's actually just a, a non-democratic system all the way down. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so. you always know that the Supreme Court ruling is going to be extra fucked up when they let Clarence Thomas write the majority <laughs> yes. opinion. 
because Clarence Thomas is such a certified fucking psycho that like in a recent case where they ruled that a 14 year old girl should not be suspended from her cheer team or rather not allowed to move from junior varsity to varsity on the grounds that she swore and said fuck school fuck cheer and fuck the team in an like an Instagram video or a TikTok video online and in an in that eight to one decision, Clarence Thomas wrote a dissenting opinion that said that like students who are involved in extracurriculars have a higher standard that they should be held to and more potential and opportunity. So you know that this guy is not even a, a tenth of a percent invested in interpreting the law, which is technically on paper what the Supreme Court does. And when he writes in a majority opinion, although respondents' injuries occurred entirely overseas, the Ninth Circuit held that respondents could sue in federal court because the defendant corporations allegedly made, quote-unquote, major operational decisions in the United States. The Ninth Circuit erred by allowing this suit to proceed. So he's not even interpreting the actual legality of the case. He's literally just determining the technicality of the legal like like how the case was brought to court and allowed to proceed and dismissing it on those grounds yeah and and like this sort of thing is a big part of the structure of how neocolonialism works because you have these gigantic corporations like nestle and cargill that function essentially is above the law because they have so many resources and they exist in so many countries that Mm -hmm. they can essentially play countries against each other in this legalistic shell game so that there's no way to actually pin them down as accountable for anything. Be- because right. like they, they mention in here it, to continue like another quote from his, his ruling quote nearly all the conduct that they say aided and abetted forced labor providing training fertilizer tools and cash to overseas farms occurred in the Ivory Coast but allegations of general corporate activity like decision making cannot alone establish domestic application of the alien tort statute like so <laughs> the, what he's saying is the CEO of Nestle didn't say let's do child slavery out loud and so therefore they're all innocent. Yeah, yeah when, when, when the CEOs of, of Nestle and Cargill sit around in their offices and send emails and make phone calls to decide what happens in the Ivory Coast, they're basically in international waters. That's what he's yeah. saying. He's like, you can't say they did that anywhere. It just there are kinda no people there. Happened to them, yeah. And, and of course, the implication is, hey, look, we're just interpreting the law, and and what we're saying is the jurisdiction has to be in the Ivory Coast. You just need to sue these gigantic companies that have a larger average income than the GDP of the Ivory Coast, most likely. You right. just have to get them to get sued in, in the Ivory Coast. It'll be easy. Just go do that. That'll be fine. That'll definitely work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, I'm sure Nestle and Cargill don't court. have... Yeah, well, I'm sure Nestle and Cargill right. don't Which have like the judicial system of the Ivory Coast directly under their thumb or anything. Right. Like, it's not, it's not like it's incredibly easy for hulking corporate behemoths to kind of like capture the domestic politics of a relatively small country. That's never happened before. Well, and that's the thing. I don't want to sound like I'm being like patronizing to you know people that live in in, in the Ivory Coast. What I mean is that Absolutely we have not. seen yeah. how easy it is for these corporations to buy and control the legal system in this country as huge and you know rich as it is so what chance 
<laughs> does anyone, even the most well-meaning and, and well-intentioned like lawyers yeah. and civil servants in, in, in a smaller country have against this sort of gigantic wealth? Especially a country that's coming off of already having been incredibly overexploited by right. the ruling classes of the first world for a very long time. Like, it's not like that. That's the double prong of this exploitation is that you're not just sucking out the resources and taking the natural riches away from the people who live, you know, around them in, in the region. You're also deliberately impoverishing the systems of that region so that they don't stand a chance to fight against you. And then that gives the u.s supreme court the latitude to be like okay well you just need to go sue nestle in the ivory coast done and done you should have no problem with that right and it's just it's one of the, it's it's insane like it's it's truly fucking devilish it's like um oh god it, it it's like one of those fucking like demonic tricks where or like a monkey's paw wish kind of deal i don't know i think i think that what the way that i see it is that there is slavery going on and there's no denial of it it's that uh we refuse to do anything about it it is not our space our country is not interested in ending slavery abroad or even at home it this is it's black and white in the way that it's that it is that they are just not yeah. interested in doing a damn thing to help anyone. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, you'll see these folks who have gone through this horrific oppression say, hey, we think, you know, the law should be applied to prevent this. And you just get the U.S., no, 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 no. But then if people in one of those ex- overexploited countries get together and say, you know what, this whole arrangement with these private companies is just not working out. We don't have any way to address this legally. We're just going to have to, you know, there are resources. We should control them. So we'll just nationalize them. Right. And then you do that. And then suddenly the U.S. Navy parks a flotilla off your coast. Yeah, that does tend to happen, especially (laughs) since the U.S. Navy has bases in like within two countries of almost every country in the world. Like, Yeah, and... And there, so there was a quote from the the attorney uh, who was representing the citizens who had been, you know, essentially enslaved by Nestle and Cargill, right. who had argued this case before the court, said that he was quote disappointed that the court has delayed our client's long quest for justice, and then said that he does intend to ask a, the lower court to be allowed to amend the lawsuit so that basically they're going to try and you know pull the lawsuit back, readjust it to try and get around this tech, which. I'm I appreciate that there is somebody actually trying to fight for these people but I think we all know that's not going to go anywhere as you said earlier Lena like that's the the our laws are specifically set up by the people running these companies to shield them from liability I I appreciate the efforts by these folks to to try and and get justice for these these people who absolutely deserve it but the Supreme Court is is not a place to go looking for justice Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. like we can't, we can, we can barely get any sort of accountability for the state murdering people in broad daylight on camera, uh, let alone some sort of like slave market that is totally invisible to most Americans, because um, it really is. I, I mean, like, I'm sure everybody in their life has heard maybe a vague notion, it's like. Oh, chocolate is uh, a little bit of a uh, problem good or whatever, but like that's <laughs> that's as far as it goes. Because um, I, I mean, looking back on it before we actually covered it the first time, I, I realized it was like maybe twice in my life 
I mean, one time actually from a communist who said, okay, we're probably not going to have chocolate after the revolution. And it's like, okay, but like, but that's it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there is, that's the other, that's one of the things that as always citations needed does a wonderful job covering, but I think is, is one of the things that even when you have people who have an under a, a very general understanding of how manufacturing consent works gets left out, which is how powerful, not only active propaganda about issues is but propaganda via silence by suppressing stories by keeping them out of the news so that as you said who's going to get mad about a story they don't know anything about and and so this whole thing is just so infuriating and really just continues to point to why this whole unelected council of elders that we use to decide what is and is not legal is one of the most insane undemocratic institutions in this already ridiculous fascist country. Right. Well, yeah. speaking of insane and undemocratic institutions in this ridiculous yeah. fascist country, let's talk about one of the most horribly libertarian states in the union colorado <laughs> that finally did something shockingly unlibertarian no they didn't reban weed i know what you're thinking <laughs> but as of january 1st colorado law mandated that employers disclose the hourly or salary compensation or range in all job postings Colorado enacted this rule to ensure equal pay for equal work. A 2020 report from the National Women's Law Center found gender wage gaps are narrower in fields that require salary range transparency in job postings. Ooh, huge shocker. And uh, I have to imagine that... Information being powerful. Who's heard of that? Yeah. I, and I would have to wonder, like, maybe wage gaps between people of different racial and ethnic and religious backgrounds might also shrink if, you know, protocols and mandates like this were enforced. Or, but I don't know. I'm only a celebrated economist. They were especially upset about is the fact that executives and higher ups also had, if they were to place ads about those positions, also had to have disclosed salaries, mm-hmm. meaning that you could Uh-oh. see plain as day what your boss's boss's boss is making yeah and and we've got a meme uh, kind of on this same subject later in the meme review but yeah there's so many ways that hiding salaries from about jobs is useful to the employer to suppress wages to drive you know drive up divisions in the workforce to as you said to to hide the gigantic wealth disparity between management and the regular workers and so, yeah, all credit to to Colorado for actually passing this law, except we've now run into the problem of United States federalism, where mm-hmm. a whole host of, of major corporations, including Johnson & Johnson, McKesson, CBRE Group, and Cardinal Health, have now just basically decided, oh, so if we post a job in Colorado, we have to post salary so what we'll do is fuck colorado (laughs) they they have now these big companies are now posting job listings nationwide except colorado because just the requirement to post the salaries because that's the other thing about this law the law doesn't require that they actually you know have reasonable salaries that they do do equal pay for equal work it just requires them to post it and even that is enough for these giant companies to be like, nope, 
fuck that. Well, they can't. Like, you ever go on fucking Indeed or fucking Monster or whatever, and you look around, and it's like, yeah, all the jobs that pay, like, fucking seven twenty-five. it's like a 50-50 shot if they're going to have their, their wage listed. Most of the jobs that pay between, like, 10 and 18 are pretty good about listing their wages, but as soon as you get into, like, middle, upper management, it's like salary tbd or they give you an insane salary range like 50 to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. who fucking knows how much money you'll make yeah. and it's because they deliberately don't want you to log on and be like oh shit i'm applying for a 14 dollar an hour position where my direct supervisor is going to make 22 dollars an hour and the guy above him makes 140k like, they don't want you to fucking yeah. see that. And they especially don't want you to see when the fucking CFO needs to be replaced that they make three mil, you know? That's the main thing. Yeah, and what, what this is basically kind of, uh, just like Dan said about citations, you know, like, talk about they talk about capital strikes and how this is basically, mm-hmm. like, their version of a capital strike. They're just like, well, then we're, the, we just, but it's not that they don't have jobs in Colorado. It's that they're just refusing to post them. But since they are posted internet, or like, or nationally, uh, they still show up in Colorado. It just says "except Colorado" on there. Right. When in reality, people in Colorado are still getting these job postings, and it's doing effectively the same exact thing. And through their their little like asterisks, not in Colorado, not in Colorado, they are still advertising in Colorado, and they're just skirting so, the law. It's like these uh, these these giant companies are doing what people used to do on drug forums back in the day. They would post like. <laughs> Someone who isn't me, SWIM Swim, took 400 micrograms of LSD last night. And these, <laughs> these companies are like, someone who isn't me posted a job listing that's technically for Colorado, but is technically, technically not for Colorado. And uh, we expect to never have to pay a fine or ever yeah. see any repercussions for this. And I love that they even say in one of them, because they... they this article from Business Insider took like a quote from a couple of Johnson & Johnson listings where it says, work location is flexible if approved by the company, except the position may not be performed remotely from Colorado. Like, <laughs> you can't, <laughs> they don't even come up with a fake reason. There's there's not even like, oh, it has to be on the West Coast, so it's within a certain time, if it's in the right time zone, or like, it needs to be close to X city. It's literally just, you can work anywhere, it just can't be Colorado, and we're not yeah. going to tell the you air why. Is, <laughs> right. The air is too thin up there, so the internet gets all wavy or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Colorado's a scary place for major corporations. People walk around and you can see their salary right above their fucking head like an NPC <laughs> in a video game. You know? That's that's tough to deal with. I think we should all have a moment of silence for these corporate yeah. behemoths that are no longer going to be able to do business in Rocky Mountain country. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... In our next piece, we're actually kind of almost do. It's a very similar story, actually, though it does kind of come uh, from the labor side, kind of. I mean, like I wouldn't. It's so the thing about this is a really confused one. Covering this is a tough one to talk about, folks. Oh, because this is about the 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 AFL CIO's union for the workers within the AFL CIO, and yeah. So to try and like explain the structure of this one uh so that it makes it's a little easier to understand so the afl-cio obviously like 
we talk about them as a labor union, but they're really kind of they're they're a confederation of labor. So they're like a big over umbrella organization. And so like any group like that, they have their own staff. Um, And that staff that works at their offices is itself unionized with a union which is a member of the AFL-CIO. The, right. the, so the workers at the AFL-CIO's offices are organized via the Washington-Baltimore News Guild. And those workers who are working for the what is, I believe, still the largest you know, confederation of—it is the largest confederation of unions in the country still— Despite all of its many problems, check out my overtime episode on the AFL-CIA for some history Mm -hmm. of that. Um, That, what is supposed to be, you know, the big historic labor union and representative of the workers' movement in this country, is trying to force their office employees back into the office without actually consulting them on on what sort of COVID protections they might need. (laughs) Right. So... Like specifically what's happened is that the uh, Washington Baltimore News Guild representing those employees working for the AFL-CIO filed a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board alleging that the AFL-CIO itself has violated federal labor law because they have, quote, failed and refused to bargain in good faith with the, the union over safety and health issues stemming from going back to the office while COVID is still going on. Because the AFL-CIO is requiring all their workers to be vaccinated and in the office by July 6th unless they're on approved leave. Okay, well, this highlights uh, a conflict of interest that I saw early on when you were describing this situation and now seems to come to the fore. So this um, Baltimore News, the the Washington Baltimore News Guild is representing this AFL-CIO staff in filing a complaint with the NLRB (laughs) that would require this member union of the AFL-CIO to back this staff against the AFL-CIO with the support of the AFL-CIO. So well, <laughs> basically it, it it's one of those things where hmm unfortunately because of the leadership the AFL-CIO is serving the role of the boss in this case where they right. we we've seen this from a lot of companies where they're they're like pandemic's over back to the office no more of this remote working shit no no more of this stuff where we can't micromanage every second of your day you got to get right. back in the office so that we can harass you and justify our uh, middle management positions and but instead of being done you know by some gigantic corporation like Amazon or Chase Bank or some shit. It's the AFL-CIO doing it to its own unionized employees saying, all right, whatever, pandemic's over, get your vaccine, get back in the office. And and they mentioned in here the, the News Guild, which filed the complaint against the AFL-CIO, said that they didn't address any of the concerns of these employees on ventilation, uh, mask requirements, commuting, child care, health risks. And they said, quote, instead of a co- coming to the table and working with us to guarantee everyone's safety, management has decided to ignore their own workers' rights to negotiate, end quote. Uh, and that's from the executive director of the group. Well- yeah, and, and I think that well, one thing to remember is that, I mean, this this kind of member union, which is, uh, a, a, for all intents and purposes, a, a form of dual power to the union itself. Uh, I mean, that that is one of the things that is 
is allowed, but it's looked down upon. This is similar to like when we, I don't remember which story it was. Uh, no, I do remember. It was the Volvo uh, uh, strike where they were basically called uh, anti or counter union or whatever. Yeah. And then they were also called communists in the same uh, breath. And that this is exactly what I expect. I mean, if we actually heard a uh, response from, uh, from anyone from the AFL-CIO, they'd be like, well, we think we did do a good job and they need to back <laughs> off because now they're being anti-union this is like this is it's like calling israel people critics of if israel's apartheid state anti-semitic it's it's the exact same thing yeah so i mean we've seen recent stuff I, as much as i want the afl cio to be getting better hasn't been a whole lot of signs of that lately because this is coming not too long after you know that big report they just put out about why actually you know police we don't need to get rid of police unions it's just a few bad apples we just need to put in standards of excellence and it's like for that now this i'm not really seeing a whole lot of improvement in the afl cio's leadership from you know some of its darker days of the several decades ago yeah, I wonder how uh, easy it is, or not, to to just like run a campaign within your your member union of the AFL to just like reassociate with the IWW or something like that. Just like be like, no, nah, you know what? Fuck the AFL. Well, I mean, like I was almost gonna say this highlights an interesting thing. Like, if you have large enough union organizations, and then they have staff, you can't exactly trust. Uh, member you like you know props to the washington baltimore news guild for standing yes. by these workers it seems like they're doing a very good job but there's like a painfully obvious conflict of interest here where like if the washington baltimore news guild goes too hard against the afl cio they might start to be punished by them internally in terms of like withdrawing support for various you know union activities or, or whatever the case may be and so in order to counteract that it almost seems like what you really need is some kind of I don't know in what echelon of power it would be enforced, but you need to have something that says basically like, look, if you're going to have a full-time staff working for your union, they need to be represented by another union that doesn't rely on your union for resources. And I know that that might be tricky, but then that kind of begs the question, well, okay, then at that point, like, don't we need like a proper national union leadership, like a, like a, like a universal union, uh, like affiliation board or something. And it's like, when you take a look at the sorry state of the fucking NLRB, it's like, yeah. well, we're a long fucking way away from having anything like that in this country. <laughs> so well, I, I think it, it just continues to point out that like, cause we've, we've pointed out before issues in the, and this happens in, in labor unions around the world. It's not unique to the U S but right. this has been a particularly thorny issue in the U S has been the, and I know this is probably going to sound weird coming from the ML on the show, but the level of bureaucracy um, in sure. in major U.S. unions and the ossification of said bureaucracy. To, so you get this like permanent uh, level of support staff who get is essentially so invested in those positions of power and authority that you know the the interests start to diverge a bit from what 
might not be a problem if there was a more vigorous and and, and consistently grassroots level of democracy in the union. And you were right. consistently refreshing the leadership and the people at the top from the people who are actually, you know, on these shop floors, in these offices, experiencing these problems, who aren't going to then, you know, turn around and tell their fellow workers, no, 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 too fucking bad, get back in the office. So wait, 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 Dan, you're telling me that the way to solve this conflict of interest is to just give the people who are the full-time union employees the same level of rights and ownership in the place where they work that unions are traditionally structured <laughs> to fight for in the long term anyway? Crazy that is idea. crazy. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. It's almost like a lot of organizations that are yeah, ostensibly well, meant to be doing something gradually stray away from that purpose because of the, the both the external forces of the system that they have to operate under and because of the systemic ossification of bureaucracy that well, you were gesturing to I earlier. Think that one thing that's important to remember uh, about this is that a lot of this is part partially because of the collaboration with the CIA, but also because of the kind of Alinskyist, which I will explain more what that means uh, in another episode, but like mentality, Ooh. which was, which um, is basically to create a, uh, a, a, an atmosphere that is supporting labor peace and to say that there's, there's a way yeah. for, for workers and bosses uh, interest to reconcile, and that is deeply ingrained in in like things like the AFL CIO, because I mean the entire era that was the destruction of the power of unions uh, was focused around that, and it and it actually permeates directly into what this issue manifests from. I mean, it's it it's exactly why it's happening because they don't have that sort of interest. We, we, you say that like, uh, remember when the we, we were like, oh yeah, unions are inherently anti-colonial or whatever. It's like, yeah, I wish. Like I really right. fucking yeah. wish. Like if yeah, only. unions are are always pushing to get ownership for the workers. Yeah, I fucking wish. But right. that's just not the case. I mean, their their goals are ex- explicitly not that. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like, it's almost like what we're all kind of gesturing towards is that what we really need is not some kind of like especially in the case of workplace democracy and like union leadership and workers' rights and stuff is maybe like more of a mass line approach than mm-hmm. the kind of like uh maybe in this particular channel the idea that like we can establish some kind of set of vanguard labor parties is poisoned a little bit by the history of like labor relations in the united states and it might be necessary to pursue something that is a little bit more proletarianized i don't know if i'm expressing myself (laughs) adequately here but (laughs) no i know what you're saying what we need is cio2 this time we just openly embrace being communists that's right hell yeah (laughs) that's right our and flag speaking, is just a dead Joseph McCarthy. And speaking of people <laughs> who openly embrace being communists, I think, <laughs> uh, there is a charter school in Massachusetts named after famous Bra- uh, Brazilian philosopher and educator Paulo Freire, who was uh, is, is famous primarily for his work pedagogy of the oppressed which is basically a whole new model of of education based on specifically trying to have a dialogue engaging with working class people and educating people in ways that are directly relevant to their average lives instead of just dictating and like sending forth 
uh, information from a pulpit, which is a lot right. more like our traditional education. Well, and, setup. and it, this is this is influential in a lot of schools, especially of uh, South American socialist thought, yes. right? Like this is something that has influenced mm-hmm. the administrations of people like Maduro and Morales mm-hmm. and Lula in their time. And and I do I do highly recommend the book. I, I I think it's it's very good. But unfortunately, what's not very good is this story. <laughs> right. Uh, be, well, because, you did say uh, charter school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that's really where the problem starts, uh, because you it's like okay, charter school. That's not good. Well, it's named for Paolo Freire. I do like him. He was right. cool. And unfortunately, we're going to start to see some of the shades of a little bit of stuff for like the quote unquote, no evil foods stuff. Yeah. Because, so, so this school, uh, which is in Chicopee, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Springfield, um, opened in 2013. And um, last year, you know, during right about when the pandemic started in, in March, the school's professional staff, mostly teachers, but, all, but also other staff, including like guidance counselors, unionized with UAW local 2322 uh, nice. in, in Massachusetts, which that's awesome. And that's where the uh, trouble really started uh, for most of these people. Uh, this is from an In These Times article. Yeah, labor antagonism the, forever. <laughs> yeah. They, they interviewed one of the teachers who started the union drive, uh, Zach Novak, who sent out an email notifying you know everybody at the school that hey the staff's unionized we all signed these cards we're we're signing up with the uaw and the same day he sent out that email he's dragged into a meeting with the school administrators Uh just you know him by himself and then all these upper level staff to interrogate hold on i've got i've actually got a card right here it says weingarten (laughs) writes if an employee has a reasonable belief that discipline or other adverse consequences may result from what he or she says the employee has the right to request union representation should have been done (laughs) and so he he says uh, that he in- interpreted that, and I would say correctly, a- as basically an intimidation tactic by by the school to try and sure. be like, hey, all right, you think you you've got this little nice little union thing going, but we're we're the ones that really have the power. And at the end of the school year, he he was he, they they go through this you know because a lot of charter schools have these like year to year contracts that have to be renewed be, as, as you know one of their favorite methods of being able to control their labor supply right and he was offered so he was offered a new contract and then the offer was immediately almost immediately rescinded and you know he he says in the article that he believes would again wager i would say he's almost certainly correct that his that the reason that his offer was rescinded is because he was one of the primary people organizing the union. And they point to in here that a, a specific point where, you know, the, the, cause uh, of course, since he was pulled in, you know, to one of these intimidation meetings, like immediately upon recognition of the union, forced recognition of the union. Um, right. A few months later, the, school decided you know what we gotta do we gotta be a bit more proactive in how we deal with this union problem and so they went out and they hired a new executive director who then ramped the union busting stuff up to 11 uh they they had a quote in here from carol hubin who is a a teacher at the school who said that the first ominous sign was quote a really strong pattern of not responding to union communications and then also said that they would start seeing 
disciplinary actions and warnings to the teachers for posting uh, just your real va- basic, hooray, the union is good, pro-union messages in the, on their Zoom backgrounds at, at bargaining meetings. Like, <laughs> at bargaining meetings where exactly. we're talking about union stuff like literally it is one of the most union things that happens right it's it's not like these they're going out you know they're doing their remote lessons and they're doing a history class and they got a big iww poster in the back though that would be rad and people should do that <laughs> but that's not even what we're talking about here this is literally just in the middle of actual bargaining discussions people you know having union paraphernalia and stuff and they're getting you know warnings discipline like getting written up for this shit and then we came you know basically to the big attack on the union and and this reminded me a little bit of of something we talked about what happened what's been happening in the uk where at the end of the year when almost half of the teachers in the union's contracts were up they were ordered to reapply for their own jobs, and none of them were rehired. Uh, yes. And, and, and of course, the union points out that no explanation was offered for the non-renewal of the contracts. Of course, the school has been, you know, very careful to avoid saying that they, you know, fired and or, you know, didn't rehire these teachers for being in the union. But it's rather obvious that that's the actual reason. Well, and I, I one of the things, whenever anyone says... Oh, you need to reapply for your position. Take that as a you're fired. Like, don't yeah. ever yeah. take it any other way. They have fired you. Yeah, because because that was the thing that this made me think of was we were talking about how companies in the UK have been using this fire and rehire tactic to to destroy, you know, people's seniority benefits and take away what they would call privileges and we would, you know, call workers' rights uh, right. that have been acquired through years of struggle just by firing people and then rehiring them in basically, you know, hostile contract negotiations. And so this just being sort of, you know, a, an inversion a bit of that where they're just like, oh, you unionized, cool, you're fired. Right. And, and this they, isn't the first instance of uh, charter schools named after influential labor or left figures doing this i see also in the notes that in 2017 there was a union busting campaign at a charter school named for cesar chavez uh and the hypocrisy if this isn't lost on the teachers which i imagine not because if you're a teacher you probably know who the who paulo Freire and cesar chavez were and their significance you know yeah and 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 one of the teachers says in there he says quote "It, it certainly is quite ironic she said that the school uses Paolo Freire's name, who was a labor activist, is choosing to use his name to union bust. And yeah. it's this is just like the fucking No Evil Foods where they got these their stuff out here with Comrade Cluck and, and fucking El Zapatista Chorizo. Meanwhile, they're fucking forcing their whole work staff to work through the pandemic and then firing them at the drop of the hat. Yeah. And, I mean, and if now you, you've got these these schools named after these famous labor leaders like Paulo Freire and Cesar Chavez that are just as shitty and horrible to their staffs as every other charter school. Yeah, if you're yeah. going to do this kind of stuff, you should call your school something more traditional, like Andrew Jackson or <laughs> Winston Churchill Charter School, you know? Like, yeah, no, Robert exactly. E. Lee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Pinkerton Magnet Academy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, so, and we're and we're not actually going to get to cover the uh, we're not covering the Cesar Chavez related article about the what, the Supreme Court. Was it just the Supreme Court or was it the state court? Well, well, I think we're going to end up covering that next next time we have a follow up on a on on a really important story called also kind of in this vein. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean the thing with this is like great. I, I mean, good on these teachers for actually because. I got to say, I haven't seen a lot of successful union drives out of charter schools. And so just the fact that I, obviously they've faced this horrific retaliation and they have uh, filed, the union has filed complaints uh, on over more than 20 incidents since that, you know, more aggressive executive director at the school was hired. But we've seen, as you said, we've seen how effective, quote unquote, the NLRB is. So I'm not exactly holding my breath for it to do the right thing for these people. But I really do think this just emphasizes, you know, two things. One, fuck charter schools. Right. Like private education is is bullshit. It implicitly says that people who have more money deserve a better education. And that's that's the reason private education is bad. There's a whole bunch of other reasons you can tack on top of it, but that's the fundamental problem. And mm-hmm. two, like it doesn't matter. And we you know we said this in the, the thing with the no evil foods. It doesn't matter how nice your boss is, it doesn't matter what kind of rhetoric they're cloaking the shit in. The material interests of the bosses are never the same as that of the workers, and they will fuck you over any chance they get. Yeah. yeah Speaking absolutely. of, <laughs> our final story is yeah. actually, you know, it's a it's a feel-good story about unloading <laughs> some of the important, like, safety labor from so that workers are not afraid of robbers right you know the so so what there's this convenience store that's hiring <laughs> uh remote uh people to make sure that the cashiers are safe yes well i mean that's one way to look at it. I think that's what the he- that I mean that's what the headline said, but if that, as soon as you if you read into it, it it's actually really fucking dark. It, that's certainly what 7-Eleven and and these various other companies would like you to interpret this as. Um but yeah, this so this story is yet another example of our lovely dystopian eh, panopticon that we live in because this is a story from Vice that's talking about this new company that's being hired by their example is primarily 7-Eleven, but generally convenience stores of, of all that that same type where they are now hiring a company to monitor their employees at all times. So they've they've got a couple of uh, examples in here. Specifically, they mention of a video that they you know they got as an example from the company where a clerk at one of these convenience stores you know he goes over to one of the uh the freezer cases and grabs a a bottle of coffee from the thing drinks it goes back to the cash register nothing's going on and then suddenly from a speaker in the ceiling he just starts getting harangued hey 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 did you scan that did you pay for that you can't steal that (laughs) and the the then they have another example where a cashier is just standing behind the counter talking to someone and there's an alert noise and again this disembodied voice from a speaker in the ceiling just starts interrogating the cashier who is that person why are you talking to them why are you you know not working harder and the the cashier then has to explain to disembodied harassing voice that 
he's it's somebody who came to pick him up and give him a ride at the end of his shift and then they get oh well you can't stand behind the counter and right <laughs> this is all from fuck this off company. oh gosh <laughs> Yeah, this company called Live Eye Surveillance, which is a Washington-based uh, company that will monitor the vis- the video feed from your business 24-7 to, quote, act as a visual supervisor for the sites in terms of assuring the safety of the employees and requesting them to complete assigned tasks. Yeah. Uh, yes. I love I love this kind of like security theater stuff where it's like, oh, yeah, we have someone watching your store for you. It's definitely to, you know, prevent theft and loss and stuff. <laughs> and then it like you, you check out what they're doing with it and it becomes painfully obvious that it's really just to like harass their own employees and act as this like fucking panoptic gaze that always keeps the employees under check, you know? Yeah. And. They, and they have a good quote in here from uh, a researcher with this group, Privacy International. It says, quote, we're using insecurity about the risk of robbery as an excuse to target workers. This is really an excuse to reframe how we're working. Essentially, what's happening with workplace surveillance is employers trying to keep track of their employees to make sure they match their idea of productivity. This is very right. toxic for the mental health of employees. And it's, this is Amazon shit. This is this. I mean, we... This is exactly the same shit we talk about them every time we we report on them. So wait, wait. Privacy International is an like an advocacy group for privacy, like like saying yeah. that this is bad. Yeah, they're like a okay. watchdog. Basically, I was I was like, really I was afraid for a second there that that this was like <laughs> yeah, Privacy International is concerned about the privacy of bosses, right? <laughs> no, but that's good that there's there's actually people out there saying that this is fucked up because it is fucked well, up. Yeah, well, and they're creating, like, a whole meta industry of, yes. like, just snitching on employees. And also, and, it, and it's all couched as being for their benefit, right? When really well, it's, right. like, obviously for the employer's benefit. Well, because that's the thing, is that they advertise... Because, like, we, those examples that we talked about first are not what the, the examples that the company, you know, puts forward on its, you know, most public advertising. That's videos where supposedly you know this uh service interrupted an armed robbery and you know helped save the people there but interrupted when you actually think about what they're talking about because they have a sample video in here where two armed robbers come into the store and you know try to rob the clerk and the clerk goes to do the correct thing and give the money from the cash register to the robbers right and this fucking speaker in the fucking ceiling uh, like starts blaring and yells to the robbers that the police have been called and then you know the they run out of the store but like for every time you have the people you know the, the people who are robbing the store run out you're also just as likely to have the response that oh by the way you've been seen on camera and we've called the police you have essentially just given those people like just as much of a reason to shoot the clerk Right. as anything to get rid of you know a witness and so like this is the sort of thing that is going to get people killed <laughs> yeah I mean, absolutely this is not uh increasing anybody's safety yeah because like and they, they point out in here uh, well and, with, and, and and in short maybe maybe it does really feel like like maybe it feels like a disembodied voice but also like they don't like the robber doesn't know if the right. cashier didn't push a button that just fucked them over like right. like 
Like, they they should know. It's like, oh, yeah, if I rob this gas station, they're just going to give me the money. And I'm like, maybe I get caught. But no, like, suddenly the cashier moves to do something and then the alarm happens. It's like, oh, so now you're ratting me out to the police. Prepare for to meet your doom, you know? Well, yeah, because right. they, they point out in here, it's like, there's a reason that places like this that have alarms have silent alarms right for that exact reason and the 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 other thing that's maddening about that aspect of it because even if you ignore the fact that like you were saying the primary purpose of this is just to harass the employees so that they know that they're constantly being monitored to try and force them to self-correct their activities to to work more the way that the you know the bosses want them to work is basically automatons but even if you take it from the security perspective like what amount of money is a convenience store losing if like you know the i don't know $500 they have in the till at most gets stolen who gives a shit the like the place is insured that's nothing to to the money that it it makes so essentially what this is doing is just in, a increasing the likelihood of violence towards any of the the you know people working at the the store and b i would wager there is a essentially zero percent chance that the amount of money you would recover theoretically by preventing these robberies is more than the amount of money you're spending on this panopticon system that's right right yeah that's exactly what i wanted yeah because it probably costs more than the more than the till just for a month's worth of it and i mean you don't get robbed once a month you, right. I mean, I don't know. And and so they they the this company LiveEye that that runs this service listed a whole bunch of co- like big companies on there as as corporate partners on their website as Seven uh, Eleven, Shell, Dairy Queen, Holiday Inn. So this is getting rolled out at like a a lot of really big chains. Mm-hmm. And like they, they and of course they got a they, they did get a statement uh, vice who did this this article from 711 which said 711 incorporated cares deeply about the safety of our associates and customers we provide every 711 store with a base security system that includes CCTV and alarms however independent franchise owners can install their own system on top uh, of what is provided of course and that there's those three words in there that are every one of these companies' favorites, which is independent Independent franchise franchise owners. owners. Yeah. Because it has been, like, the whole franchise system is just one of the, in in the same way that the independent contractor How would you like less accountability? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And so they just, they're like, no, no, it's not, hey, it's the independence of the small business owner, the franchise owner. We're we're invested in keeping everyone safe, but you know, we don't control the individual policy, you know, ne- never mind the fact that there's a reason that every 7-Eleven that you go into looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like and there is a reason that every other franchised business that you go into, look, they all look the same. Because like, the whole idea that oh no, these are independent is just a bullshit like, you know, legal maneuver to save the company from any chance of any yeah. systemic accountability for anything. Cause if they doing. deviate from anything that the company does, they lose their franchise license. Right. Yeah, so it's like, exactly. they're still corporate stores. They're a hundred percent corporate stores. They just don't have the accountability of a corporate store. Yeah. yeah so yeah, there was just, there was just one thing that I wanted to add on to this. Just, it, it is, I mean, generally obviously frustrating to see, the insane, you know, level of surveillance and stuff we see from Amazon now trickling down to even folks that are just, you know, 
<laughs> trying to run a convenience store. Um, but there was one thing I, I just, I want to do a little bit of media criticism because I had to change the headline of this article uh, for us to talk about it because one of the things that Vice did in this article that I really don't like and I don't really understand is that they made a point of it to emphasize that the remote workers that are monitoring this are staffed primarily out of India. And I don't have a problem, you know, reporting the facts of the story, but in there, so I wrote a headline for this of convenience stores are hiring a CCTV company to remotely monitor staff at all times, which I hope, you know, based on what we've talked about, sounds like a, you know, representative headline. Mm -hmm. But what Vice's headline for this was, is a CCTV company is paying remote workers in India to yell at armed robbers. Right. And like, look, yes, they are hiring people in India, but the only reason you'd mention that is to, to add other on, them, you know, yeah. is to other them and add on this level of xenophobia to it to make it seem like the problem is that these are foreign people doing yeah. this monitoring as if this would be fine if it was people monitoring you from Ohio. Like, the, yeah, some wh- guy in a call center in Wyoming does it and right. it's OK. Like, yeah, like wh- where the people are that are doing that is completely irrelevant. And I, I just find it very frustrating that like in what I thought was an otherwise good article, Vice decided to, you know, go with that. We'll we'll get extra clicks if we put this xenophobic spin on the headline, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, but, uh, in 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 the thought of accountability, uh, we're going to go to the meme review because we know yeah. that if we didn't, that you would all complain. <laughs> so, <laughs> our first one is actually one that I pulled for John. Uh, I love this so much. I I have a longstanding gripe about being too hot in the summer. uh, And uh, I've come up with many wacky and I'm sure um, very engineering deficient solutions (laughs) to the problem. But this guy on the internet has already got me beat (laughs) in one fell swoop. Yeah, uh, so this is a, like a pool noodle, you know, like the, styro- yeah. the, the the foamy things with the hole in the center, uh, right against a vent in a car with the other end of the noodle going up his shorts, like, <laughs> pant leg. And I, then at the I top it just says, pr- follow me for more summer tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely appreciate this level of backyard engineering. Um, I My one quibble would just be that if, if you really want to make this a little more efficient, you want to make that noodle shorter because right now that air's got to go on a real torturous path to get back down there. You're going to lose a lot of air pressure. Shorten mm-hmm. that up, make it more efficient. going to help cool you off way better. Yeah, and is- maybe also like seal one end of the pool noodle against one of the vents in your car so that it's actually capturing all the cold air that comes out of right. it. Because right now it looks like he's maybe getting 25% tops out of that <laughs> vent. But but the idea, love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Amazing engineering from uh Catch, from catch me stopping. in the summer at my job wearing a wearing like a deep diving suit from the 1850s <laughs> hooked up to the um hooked up to the AC coming out of my car. <laughs> yeah. Um, um so, yeah, th- so this yeah, go ahead, Dan. You can do this one. Yeah, so the next one is, I'm sure everybody has seen, you know, if you've walked around. You In know, this house, uh, we believe love is love <laughs> yeah. and Black Lives Matter, which, you know, those signs are it, fine. They're look, fine. Look, if you have but... any friends who voted for Elizabeth Warren, you've seen these signs. Um, <laughs> they're just, 
there are signs, you know, basically saying we believe in all these, you know, good things. We believe black in lives this matter. house. We yeah, believe that recycling is good and you yeah. should be mad at your neighbor if they don't do it. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very liberal sign, but, you know, right. it's, it's fine. It's well, this is a rehash yes. of that. Yeah, this is a different version. And this is one that uh, I, I don't think that a lot of the people that have up the other sign would necessarily agree with, unfortunately. <laughs> and this one is, in this house, we believe collective bargaining rights are human rights. No strike is illegal. Scabby is real. Scabby an is real. An injury to one is an injury to all. And solidarity is everything. Yeah. I, well, I'll repeat myself. Scabby is real. That is, that yes. is a, yes. I mean, that is an inflatable rat. Look, I saw yes. Scabby in an episode of The Sopranos. If that doesn't make him real, I don't know what does. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. I, but, I do think that the the person who made this did. I mean, did it fairly quickly. I think because like yeah. I the re, I thought it was a little confusing because there's each line is kind of a different color and an injury to one is an, an injury to all is all the one color which is great but then collective bargaining is an orange and rights are human rights so so collective bargaining rights are human rights are two different colors so i thought that that was somebody, a little confused somebody know? made this infanto on their phone cut them yeah. some slack <laughs> uh, i know yeah. just want to you know spend hey. an extra two minutes on a on a meme we, it, it's a good meme we're just doing a punch-up yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, right. that's right that's right uh, that's what the meme review's for Right, right. Yeah. Um, this next one is uh, a photo of Lugia, right? That's what this Pokemon's name is. Yeah, that's Lugia, I think. Yeah. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, like the the Luigi of mythical Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> uh, at the top, it says, at the picket line, as if, you know, I guess Lugia is at the picket line. Um, me, I'm getting tired. I should go home. It's true. I've been, I've, I've been in protests. I get tired. And then, you know, workers start singing Solidarity Forever. Me, the song has restored my strength. Which I'm guessing this is actually like a snapshot from the, from a movie. From the Yeah, that's a movie. plot point in the second movie, I think. They have to play like a little shell, like a conch kind of deal. And they play a song <laughs> on it and it like restores the strength. But what you didn't realize is that they were playing 16 tons on that conch shell. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Uh, and then Dan mentioned this meme earlier in the episode. Uh, so I, and it's also, uh, Star Trek. Uh, yeah, this is, this is DS9. So, uh, it's, this is a, this is a three panel, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine meme. You've got, uh, Garrick is talking to Bashir and he starts out. My dear doctor, you should always discuss your pay with your fellow co-workers. And Bashir looks over at him a little worried, like, even when management tells us not to? And then Garrett gives him this, you know, kind of like sneaky little grin as, especially when management tells you not to. <laughs> That's right. That's 100% and, correct. Like, it's a meme, but that is uh, absolutely true. Like, talk about your wages with your co-workers like, pretty much any chance you get. <laughs> Because yeah. there's a reason, like, as we were talking about before, you know, they try and hide that shit. Yeah. Yeah, then, absolutely. Speaking of adding memes for my co-hosts, I have added this one for John as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The Sterner meme, where instead of saying the state calls uh, its own violence law, but the violence of the individual crime, instead it says the state calls its own violence based, 
but that of the individual cringe, which is uh, <laughs> funny on a, several fronts, especially because as much as I like Max Turner, uh, I have to admit, if he were alive today, he would definitely say shit like based in cringe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> I, yeah. I just liked it. I thought it was funny and... Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So that is the episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to help us out, uh, give us five dollars on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/workstoppage. Uh, write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever yeah, yeah. Pl- platform you're on. Send it to your friends. Uh, really helps uh, expand the show, so we get more people listening to this really important news. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain, me at Solidarity B. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce and Red Game Tape and we will see you next time and remember right. labor peace is not in our interest solidarity that's forever. right solidarity forever